0: When I was younger, I used to love to read the funny papers uh, in the newspaper. I don't know if they're still in there or not. I don't take the newspaper, but uh, I remember a couple of my favorites. Dennis the Menace was al- is always a good one because they're so true to life. And in one cartoon, it shows Dennis the Menace looking at a Christmas catalog, and he says, "Wow, this Cadillac has toys in it. I didn't even know I wanted." <clears throat> my favorite was always the Wizard of Id. If you remember The Wizard of Id, it was always my favorite. In one particular cartoon, it showed one monk was hanging a sign outside the church. And another monk was looking at him, and the sign said, Thou shalt not covet. And the other monk said, I wish we had a sign like that at our church. <laughs> Isn't that so true to life? Amen. Uh, we want what other people have, or we want that which we cannot have. It's so true to life. Well, today we're gonna wrap up our series on 10 values that build strong lives. Uh, We've been looking at the 10 Commandments and hopefully we we can find some things in which we can build our lives Upon. You know, they're not the 10 suggestions, the 10 great ideas, they're the 10 commandments. 10 things that we should follow, 10 things that we should obey. And today we're going to look at the 10th commandment, which basically says this, you can read the whole thing, but it says this, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to a neighbor. We have reduced to say thou shalt not covet. We should not want the things that other peoples have. So we're going to examine these words this morning, this, this commandment under the heading, learning to be content. It is true that we can learn to be content. But before we go there, we've got to ask the question, what is coveting? A covet is, is the uncoveting is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. It is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. Now listen. It's not necessarily bad to acquire things. I want you to hear me on that. There's nothing wrong with that. God created squirrels with this desire to collect nuts. If you don't believe me, come to my house. They're everywhere. God made the little birds of the air with this desire to acquire straw to build their houses. And God has created all these, 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 these wonderful, beautiful, and exciting things. And he's created within us this desire to acquire them. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad about that. Where it becomes bad is when that desire to acquire becomes uncontrolled. And you can't control what it is you want. And it, let's face it, it's hard. In this world in which we live, it's hard to be content. Because they're always coming up with something new, or something better. And, and so, so, so we, we, we want these things and so we have this desire to acquire that. So I want us to look at this idea and I want to look at the effect of always wanting more in our life. That there's five things, five effects that will happen when I don't control my desire to acquire. Five things that will happen when I don't control this desire. The first is fatigue. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, do not wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Here's the modern day, the unpublished worldly version. It says, it's dumb to acquire too much. That's what the scripture says. It's dumb to to have this desire in you to have more and more stuff. So what people do is they get all this stuff, then they got to take second jobs to pay for all the stuff that they put in the garage that they no longer use. We get in a rat race. Everybody begins to work to acquire more and more. The second thing that happens is debt. We get into debt. The Bible says the more money you have, the more money you spend. Is that not true? Uh, you know, if I, have, if I have money in my pocket, it's burning a hole in my pocket, I can't wait to get rid of it. I look at my wallet, I say, wow, I have 10 bucks. I didn't even know I had that. I could have spent that. Uh, you know I'm telling the truth. If you got it in your pocket, you're going to spend it. The more you have, the more you spend. Coveting destroys budgets. It's not that you don't have enough money. It's that you have too much want. You need to get your wonter fixed. I, I want too many things. And there's a difference between needs and greeds. Some of the things, is not necessarily that we need it, but that we have a greed for it. And so we, we've got to look at that. The average American spends $1,300 on credit for every $1,000 they make. You know what we call that? We call that deficit spending. The only people that get away with deficit spending is the government. And they won't do it forever. Eventually, they discover, uh-oh, we've got a problem. It's the same way in your personal lives. You know that's, that's true. The more we want, the further we go in debt. You know it's the old idea the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Can I just tell you something about that grass? Probably their water bill's higher too. Uh, yeah, you need to remember those things. So we got fatigue, we got debt. Third, worry. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse twelve says a working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much that he stays awake worrying. He stays awake worrying. When we focus on things, we begin to get consumed by them, and we worry about them. The more we have, the more we worry about them. We say, how am I going to protect what I have? How am I going to invest what I have? How am I going to keep from losing what I have? How can I avoid paying taxes? How can I I keep from losing everything that I have? And we stay up at night worrying, worrying, worrying about such things. I read the other day that insomnia increases with income. The more money you have, the harder it is to sleep. Fatigue, debt, worry, fourth, conflict. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You know, these individuals that are always wanting more, they're constantly battling with themselves. I read that, that the number one cause of divorce is financial problems. Number one cause. Just can't get enough and it causes stress and strife and conflict in the family. When you have, when you have what I want, there's going to be conflict. Because I want what you have and there's going to be conflict in relationships. Fifth, dissatisfaction. Fatigue, debt, worry, conflict, dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says this, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Uh, can we just be honest? that Money can bring happiness for a little while. It can. Uh, money can bring happiness for a little while, but eventually the happiness wears off. Why is that? <clears throat> because things change. Uh, I I know you find this hard to believe, but did you know that we actually like change except in church? No, 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 no. We actually like change. We do. Uh, That's why we have this thing that they they call fashion and they call style because it, it comes in and it goes out. We get bored with our previous fashion. We get bored with what was in style last year. Ladies, you know I'm meddling, right? Uh, how many of you are still wearing the dresses you had in the 50s and 60s? Don't answer that. <laughs> we don't want to know. <laughs> you know, uh, we know, I mean, look, I, I know, I, they wouldn't even wear the same dress they used to, used to be they wouldn't even wear the same dress they wore for Easter the year before. Somebody might remember. I said, they probably won't even remember you were there. You know know I'm speaking the truth. So we get bored and we've got to have the the latest gadget, the newest thing. If not, we, we, we redecorate, we remodel, we repair, or at least we rearrange the furniture. Why? Because we're not happy, we're not content, we're dissatisfied with that. Listen, things don't bring permanent happiness. They will give you a temporary thrill. But coveting this desire to to have, this desire to acquire is the number one reason for dissatisfaction in the world today. So what's the antidote? What is the antidote for contentment, of coveting? It is contentment. Learning to be content. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content, living in plenty or in want. Paul says, I've learned it. I've learned what it's like to be content." Because he had to learn it, he says, it does not come natural. I had to learn how to be content. I am not by nature a content person. Uh, That's just the way I am. And it's a constant battle. What was it Paul said? He said, man, if I hadn't read about coveting, I wouldn't know what it was. He said, but because I read about it, now I know what it is. And now everything I turn around, I covet. That's why we, we, we have these things. But learning to be content, it's not automatic. It's an education process. And one of the ways is we realize the effects of always wanting more. That's why we talk about those five things. Fatigue, debt, worry, conflict, and dissatisfaction. We we, we worry about the effects. So, So what do we do? How do we learn to be content? How do we learn contentment? The first thing you do is you resist comparing yourself to others. Resist comparing yourself to others. When you compare yourself to others, it always leads to coveting. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, We do not dare classify or compare ourselves. Paul goes on to say in that passage, it's not wise. It's not wise to compare yourselves. It's not wise to categorize yourselves. If you are comparing yourself to someone else, it's coveting. If you're comparing your houses, if you're comparing your cars, if you're comparing your jobs, if you're comparing your looks, if you're comparing your clothes, can I just tell you what God's word says? It's stupid. It's stupid. Don't do it. Don't do it. Resist that temptation to compare yourself to others. How do you react when you see somebody with something you want? Oh, man, I got to have that. I really, really want that. You have to learn to admire without having to acquire. That's okay, just admire it without having to acquire it. I don't have to own everything in the world to enjoy it. I don't have to have everything that life can give me to enjoy it. If the only things you you enjoy are the things you own, guess what? You're going to be pretty miserable. You're going to be pretty miserable in life. Why do we compare? Because that's what society says, tells us to do. That's how we keep score. Uh, uh, you know, we keep score by our possessions and how much we own. You know, what's the old story that you say? He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah, but he still dies. That's the way we've compared it. And so we, we always ask ourselves, how am I doing? How am I doing with what I have? It's because we're comparing net worth and self-worth. And they're not the same thing. Our net worth is not the same as our self-worth. You can be a millionaire and be a jerk. Or you can be poor and be a jerk. You can be poor and be wonderful. Or you can be rich and be wonderful. Don't compare net worth to self-worth. They're not the same. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Our desire to acquire can control us. Listen, you can possess your possessions or your possessions can possess you. Which one is it? Which one do you relate to the most. People will sacrifice values for things. People will sacrifice sacrifice morals. They will sacrifice their integrity. They will sacrifice any number of things to acquire more and more. They will even sacrifice relationships to acquire more. I read the story of a woman who won the lottery. She won $17 million. Overnight, she was a a millionaire. She calls her live-at-home boyfriend. And she says, I've just won the lottery, and I'm $17 million rich. He goes, he, 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 and he says, great. He, he, so she says, so get packing. He goes, great. He says, warm or cold? He goes, she says, it does not matter as long as you're gone when I get there. People will sacrifice relationships. So resist comparing yourself to others. Second, rejoice in what you have. Be happy with what God has given you. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 19 says, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. We ought to be happy with what God has given us because it's a gift. God has given it to us. But you see, we fall in this trap in life. It's what I like to call when and then thinking. You know how it works. When I get blank, then I will be happy. Or when this happens, then I will be happy. When and then thinking. It might be, you know, one of those things, you know, when I get married, then I'll be happy. Or when I get divorced, then I will be happy. When we have kids, then we will be happy. You know, we we always want something newer, something bigger, something better, something powerful. Uh, Next year, we will have what we want. Then we will be happy. When and then thinking. Listen, you are as happy as you want to be. It's your choice. You can make the choice. So forget when and then thinking. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. As a matter of fact, God commands us to be happy. God commands us to be happy with what he has. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, God has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. Did you hear that? God has provided everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy what you have. As a matter of fact, and I just submit to you, it brings God happiness when he sees his children enjoying what he has given them. You know how I know that's true? I enjoy watching my children enjoy what I gave them. You know that's true as a parent. That when you give something to children, you see them ecstatic about it. It could be your grandchildren, but you know what I'm talking about. So why do we think God who is perfect would be any different than we who are sinners. God enjoys seeing his children enjoy what he gave them. So God is watching. And he's watching if we're enjoying what he gives us. So resist comparing yourself to others. Rejoice in what you have. Third, release what you have to others. God does not give you wealth. He does not give you these things. He does not bless you for your own benefit. He wants you to share. He he wants you to, to give some of it away. He's watching. He's watching how you use your wealth. He's watching how you use what he gives you. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 17 through 19. Now I just quoted it a while ago, but let's look at this whole passage in context. It truly is a great passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. This is what Paul's writing his young protege, Timothy, as he's giving him some commands and some, some lessons. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know what this passage tells me? It's okay to be wealthy. Now, I know I have some of my my pastor friends and some of my Christian friends. They don't agree with that. Uh, they don't think that God wants us to have any money. They don't think it's, you know, that we should not uh, uh, strive for that. I-, I know some of that. But the question we ask, is it possible to be wealthy and not be materialistic? Yes, it is. Materialism is an attitude that you have. You can be poor and greedy or rich and greedy. You can be poor and content or wealthy and content. Paul's not talking about wealth here. He's talking about the attitude that one has for wealth. He said not to be arrogant about it. Not to be arrogant about it. It's, It's an attitude he's talking about. So how can I be wealthy and not be materialistic? There's four truths from this verse. If I was preaching this sermon, this would be my outline that I would do from this passage. It says first, don't become proud of your wealth. That's what Paul says. You know, those who are rich in this present word, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth. He said, don't become proud of your wealth. Second, he said, don't put your trust in money. He said, which is so uncertain. If you put your trust and you put your hope in your wealth, it's going to be uncertain. It could be here one day and gone the other. And then he also says, use your money for good. Use your money for good. Command them to do good. Use your money to do good. Help those in need. Give some of it away. He also says to give cheerfully. He said command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Let them do it that way. And if you will have those four attitudes that we just talked about right there, don't become proud of your wealth, don't put your trust in money, use your money to do good things and give cheerfully. If you will do those, guess what? You won't be materialistic. You'll be able to enjoy your wealth, but you won't be materialistic in your wealth. You see, the the root of the word materialism is the word get. I got to get, get, get. I got to get more. I got to get more of what I have. And the opposite of getting is what? It's giving. That's the opposite. So instead of having this attitude, I'm going to get, 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 have the attitude, I'm going to give, give, give. And the more God gives me, the more I'm going to give away is what he's trying to tell us in this passage. So every time I give to somebody in need, every time I help a friend, every time I give a tithe, oh, I can't believe I just said that word, Every time I give a tithe to the church, you know what I'm doing? I am breaking the bond of materialism in my life. Because I'm telling God, I said, God, I can make it without this. I don't have to be gripped with these tight fisted knuckles holding on to what I have because I'm free to give it away. And once you do that, you break the grip of materialism in your life. Do those four things. And God says, 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 you'll break the grip. Now, what's the benefit? You say, well, there has to be a benefit of that. What's the benefit? He says it in verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves in this coming age. They will lay up treasures for themselves in the coming age. You're storing it up. So instead of storing it up here, send it on ahead to God and, and let God use it there. It reminds me of a story I read about a man who passed away and he, and he went to heaven and he was walking around uh, heaven with Peter. I, it's, it's a story, guys. I didn't, it's not really a story, okay? He's walking around with Peter and he sees his best friend driving around in a Mercedes in, uh, in, uh, in heaven. He goes, well, what's that all about? He goes, ah, he was very generous with what we gave him. And we let him ride around in a Mercedes. And so he said, well, what about me? And Peter kind of hung his head. He gave the guy a moped. He said, you weren't as generous as what we had. So the guy was downcast about two weeks until he saw his pastor coming by on a pair of roller skates. (laughs) What do you send ahead? What are you sending ahead to your eternal home? Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. And if you know this truth, that it's more blessed to give than receive, you know what that is? That's a mark of maturity. If you don't know that truth, it's a mark of immaturity. If you know the truth, it makes God proud, it makes God happy. But if you don't know the truth, God is sad in an anthropomorphical way. A, uh, a way that we understand it. You need to be you need to get more excited about what you give away than what you keep. Finally, refocus on what is going to last. The permanent values. Those those eternal priorities where we place things. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4:18 says this, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, there's only a couple of things that really last forever. A relationship with God and relationship with others. Now God's, God says God's word will endure forever. But from our standpoint, a relationship with God and a relationship with others, that's the only thing that's gonna last forever. And so we ought to focus on those things instead of focusing on wealth and those type of things. One of the worst things about materialism is that it clouds our vision of God. It leads to, Is this all there is? Is just things? Is this all there is to life? You know, see, our perspective gets warped and we don't see things with the right eyes. Jesus told a story about this. He told the story of a man who had a bumper crop a man who just had had so much wheat and, and so much stuff coming in he said i don't know what i'm gonna do He goes, oh i know what i'll do i'll build, build bigger barns and i can put all my wheat in, in there i can put all that in and, and i will be happy i'll be satisfied he never thought once about giving any of it away he never thought about sharing it with his neighbor he never even thought about giving 10 percent of it to god And what did God do? God came to him that night. He says, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life is being, your life is calling out to you. This very night. And what God is saying in that passage he said, don't be a fool and allow your things to so consume you in your drive to acquire more and more in your desire to acquire that you lose focus on what's important, that you lose priority of vision. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions culture says, if I have a little, then I amount to a little. The cross says you are worth more than that. The cross says you are priceless. You are priceless. Don't put your value upon what the world says about you. Put your value upon what God says about you. And God says, I love you this much. It took my son to the cross, and I love you that much. And he stands arms open wide, ready to receive all who will come. Him. You know, every now and then we need a periodic checkup. A checkup from the neck up is what we need. What am I living for? What do I value? Where do I put my priorities? Where is my desire? We need to ask those questions in our own lives. There was a wealthy woman who lived in Beverly Hills, and when she died, she was worth millions upon millions and the people came to her funeral and, and, and they, they, they stood there by her, her casket. And they said, oh, it's so sad. She had so much to live for. Another guy said, no. She had so much to live with, nothing to live for. You see, there's a difference. What do you live for? Do you live for, to acquire more and more and more? Do you have, are you living for getting more? It's not a good enough goal. That will never bring satisfaction in this world. You need to re-examine your priorities. You need to re-examine what you do with your life and with your loot. You need to ask the question, when I die, what will happen to what I have? You might say, I'm going to leave it to your children. I was reading James Dobson a while back. He said it might spoil your children. Why? It might ruin them. So maybe you don't want to leave it to them. You've got to think about those type of things. We need to challenge the myth that's prevalent in society today that the more we have, the happier we will be. This morning, I'm asking you to make a choice This morning, I'm asking you uh, to, to ask, is my lifestyle going to be determined by culture or is it going to be determined by Christ? Who's going to determine the way you live your life? Is my money going to master me or am I going to master my money? That's the question that we all must ask in this world in which we live. You see, in order to really follow those Ten Commandments, You've got to put them in perspective. What does it really mean when Jesus, when God says, You shall not covet? What does it mean? He says, Don't have this desire to acquire more and more stuff. Because if that's all you want to acquire at the end, you'll find yourself in a fire. We ought to live for Christ, live, by, live for his values, his principles, his teachings. And if we do that, we will know what Jesus said. No man can love God and money. For either he will hate the one and love the other. He'll serve the one or serve the other. That's why that commandment is so important. Do not covet. How about you? Where are you at today? Has this sermon affected you? Does this, sermon, does this sermon make you want to examine your checkbook? I know most of you in here probably use a checkbook. Second service, they don't even know what a check looks like. Um, does it make you want to examine your checkbook and see where all your money goes? What are you sending ahead to God? And what are you keeping here? The Bible says there's some things that your foundation will be built upon. Gold, silver, precious metals, precious stones. He said all the other things will be burned away the straw, the hay, the stubble that will be burned away. So, what are you sending on ahead to God for Him to use? How do you do that? You give to the church. Obviously, you can't write a check to God. I heard about a lady who her husband died. He said, I won't be married, I won't be buried with all of my money in my my casket. And so, the, the Undertaker heard about that and said, how are you going to do that? That's really going to affect you. He goes, I wrote him a check. <laughs> Listen folks, you can't take it with you when you die. You can't. So decide today, am I going to keep it, keep it here or I'm going to keep some of it and send the rest of it ahead? Because if you can't answer that question, guess what? You haven't mastered the art of breaking the co- the, this coveting in your heart, you haven't, asked, you haven't mastered the art of contentment. For some of you, you've got to re-examine your priorities. I don't care if you make $1,000 or $10,000. It doesn't matter. It all comes back to what is it that you're living on and what are you living for. There's a difference. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a <clears throat> time for you to respond. Maybe, maybe God's called upon you this morning. I, mean, I know almost everybody in here. Uh, you know... And maybe God's call upon your life said, you know, I've got to re-examine my priorities. You know, as I've gotten older, it's gotten harder to do some of the things I need to do. And you know, God doesn't have a timetable on this. You know, He doesn't say, you know, hey, you know, give cheerfully until you get to a certain age, and you don't have to give anymore. I, I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. If you can, you bring it to me, and I'll preach a sermon on it. Okay, <clears throat> I will. I don't see it that whenever you're when you retire, you, you can you can quit giving to the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you God expects you to do more because you got more time. You got more time. So maybe for you the challenge is for you just to simply ask yourself, God, what is it you want me to give? God, what is it that you want me to do? God, help me break this cycle of coveting in my life and in my family you still have time to teach your children you still have time to instill values in your grandchildren and maybe they can learn that truth as well whatever decision God is going to ask you to do we're going to invite you to come I know some of you might need a church home maybe this is the place where God would have you to be whatever decision God would have you to make we're going to invite you to come would you stand with me Kip's going to come and lead us I'll be here at the front if you want to talk to somebody as Kip and Marilyn Cassie come to play.